Welcome to the Mindful Mystics Podcast. I am Cheryl Knight, and I'm here with my co-host, the lovely Karen Frazier. How have you been, Karen? Uh, apparently, I'm lovely, and Chucky G is off today. He wasn't feeling well, so we, we told him that we weren't going to force him to, to talk to us. Get better, Chuck. Get better, Chuck. Well, let me tell you, I'm, I'm missing Chuck, but I'm looking forward to our conversation tonight. We will be talking with paranormal author Maxim Furick, and he is an author, researcher, rock journalist, and former psychologist and addictions counselor. He is the author of several books, including Cole Region Hoodoo, Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit, which was just released this past March. He also is the author of Shepton, The Myth, Miracle, and Music, and you guys are going to want to i'm talking to the, to the listeners right now really listen to what we're going to talk about because these books cover some really interesting paranormal stuff so don't miss out on this one uh i also want to mention that uh maxim writes for paranormal underground magazine and he writes some pretty cool articles uh ranging from our strange fascination with horror films to the hollow earth theory and the shaver mysteries to Spooks Trebold and Exorcist in Academia. So I want to say welcome to the show, Maxim. Yeah, thank you, Karen and Sharon. This is uh, Cheryl. This is great. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to be on your podcast. And I'm looking forward to having a, uh, a deep and penetrating conversation about the paranormal. So uh, <laughs> this is great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. We're so excited to have you here. I can't wait to talk about your books because I have to be honest, I had never heard about what the subject matter uh, of the of your books. And so it's extremely fascinating. And I have tons of questions. What about you, Karen? Uh, you know me, I always have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. do know you. You do? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. I think we should start with Cole Region Hoodoo because it is your most recent book. It just came out uh, last month, right? Yeah, it came out on March the 21st. And uh, it's, uh, it was published by Beyond the Fray uh, Publishers. They're from San Diego, and they, they specialize in the paranormal. They don't do anything else. So, uh, you know, I sent them the, the manuscript. They approved. They got really excited and thought that this was something that was marketable and of interest within the paranormal community. So, you know, uh, the book's only been out for a little, little over a month, and uh, we've received a lot of... Uh, positive feedback and you know so things are really nice and uh, as you know Karen as an author um, you know it's one of the most uh, you know uh, gratifying things is to be at a book signing and to have people you know just look up at you and then shake your hand and say that they read your book and it's just so validating to, to you know to get that uh, you know from the reader so um, you know um, you know, being interviewed is, is sort of like that, you know, being able to, to talk to some potential readers. So, so yeah, again, thank you for, uh, for this. Absolutely. So let's talk about Cole Region Hoodoo. So um, they, it's paranormal tales from inside the pit. So by inside the pit, are you actually talking about inside a coal mine or uh, what, what do you mean by tales from inside the pit? Yeah, that, that's a good question. You know, I, I think it's more of a metaphor. Um, my my uh, previous book was called was about the Shepton mythology. It was called Shepton, the Myth, Miracle, and Music, and that sort. I just sort of stumbled down the rabbit hole. You know, I just fell into the paranormal. I didn't. I wasn't looking for it. That wasn't my intent. You know, I'm uh, basically a rock journalist. I'm a rock and roll journalist. Yeah. You know, yeah. I look at the culture of rock and roll and try to make sense of it and validate it. And what I was doing was uh, I was writing a rock mythology connecting the 1971 song Timothy 
with the 1963 Shepton mining disaster. So let me explain to your listeners, if I may. Um, There was a a band from the northeastern Pennsylvania called The Boys, B-U-O-Y-S. And they had a song written by Rupert Holmes, you know, the pina colada man. And Rupert was was trying to write a song that was controversial to get The Boys some notoriety because they were running out of options with SEPTA records. So he wrote the song about cannibalism, and it, uh, unfortunately it got banned by major radio stations like WABC, and rather than the boys receiving that notoriety, the song did. So as I was uh, researching the connection between Timothy the song and the 1963 Shepton mining disaster, I realized that this was more than just a rock mythology. Something weird was happening in Shepton. And for example, there was examples of out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, and after-life experiences. I contend that Shepton, Pennsylvania, the 1963 mining disaster, is the most bizarre uh, disaster uh, ever in history. And that's because of all the paranormal elements that seem to just uh, piggyback on Shepton, one after the other, and hopefully we'll have some time to talk about some of them or all of them, but Shepton is just bizarre. So uh, rather than writing that rock mythology, I wrote that book on Shepton, uh, The Myth, Miracle, and and Music, and then uh, during the pandemic of 2020, I finished the rock biography, which is called Somebody Else's Dream, and then last month, as as you indicated, my uh, fifth book, a coal region hoodoo was released. So we're sort of gone full circle from rock journalism to the paranormal. But again, I, 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 I want to explain that I didn't go looking for any paranormal uh, uh, universe. I just fell into it or it, it drew me or whatever. Or something was channeled through me. But uh, I'm enjoying this ride because it's just the most fascinating thing that I think I've ever done. Well, welcome to the ride. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times. <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> um, yeah uh, welcome. I I get it. I I a lot of people say that they sort of fell into it or have been drawn into it. So you are in good company. So oh, let's great. actually start with Shepton then, and um, since it seems to follow in a logical manner, so let's start with Shepton. Tell us some of the things that happened at Shepton that make it such a a strange mining disaster. Okay, so I was originally going to call it the Shepton Convergence, and that was because there was a convergence of themes that just layered one after the other on on Shepton. But I didn't think anybody would understand what what Convergence meant. So uh, the, the working title is the Shepton Mythology. That's on the back. But the actual title is Shepton, the Myth, Miracle, and Music. So when I was uh, uh, re- researching this Shepton episode, certainly the connection between the song Timothy and cannibalism in Shepton, that was the first thing that drew my attention. And in Shepton, three miners were entombed something like 330 feet for two weeks, and there was a miraculous rescue, but only two guys came out. And the townspeople in Shepton, Oneida, tiny little patch towns in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, Some of these aren't even on maps. They're so small. But the people wanted to know what happened to the third miner. Mm -hmm. And back then in 63, as well as today in 2003, there's still allegations that they ate him, that there was cannibalism. So that was the first thing. Uh, The other thing was the miners claimed that they saw the vision of Pope John the 23rd. They claimed that the Pope stayed with them in the mine for for that two-week period. Pope John XXIII had died in June of 63. Shepton took place in August of 63. The Pope had died, uh, had been dead when he appeared in in Shepton. Uh, The other purported miracles of Pope John XXIII happened after he died. They They were medical miracles. I remember I was at a book signing in northeastern Pennsylvania. It was at a fair, and this Roman Catholic nun, she was in a wheelchair, and she looked at my book, and she 
bought it. And I said, sister, did you know that all three of the Pope's miracles happened after he died? And she goes, well, of course. And I said, well, what do you mean, of course? <laughs> she goes, well, he died, went to heaven where he got his power, and then came back here and did the miracles. So uh, we had the allegations of cannibalism, very grotesque and unsubstantiated. We had the miracle of Pope John the Twenty-Third. We had the fact that the the miners saw humanoid creatures. They saw um, ancestors sitting on these stairwells. They saw golden cities and pitch black. They saw this, and the other thing that's pretty. Uh, there were other paranormal anomalies as well. The other thing, though, that the world doesn't know anything about is that Shepton Rescue Technology from 1963 saved those 33 miners in Chile. 2010, there was the Chilean copper mine disaster. There was a movie called The 33, and there were numerous books written about it. Shepton Rescue Technology saved those guys, and nobody knows about it. So, Wow, wow uh, that's interesting. Okay, I didn't know that either. Yeah, and one other thing too about the Chilean mine disaster and Shepton and cannibalism, because you know cannibalism is just like so bizarre. But uh, in Chile, these guys were uh, only had so many, uh, uh, so much rations. They had a, a little bit of tuna fish, they had a little bit of milk, and they had some crackers. And the leaders down there, the organizers, realized that at a certain point they were going to run out of food. They said, and this was, uh, has been documented in uh, those books about the Chilean copper mine disaster. They said that, you know, if there w once we run out of food, we may have to resort to cannibalism. Mm. And there was a little bit of gallows hu uh, humor there because uh, all of the guys that were down there were from Chile with one exception. And that guy was from Uruguay. So the joke was that in case they had a cannon, can't cannibalize anybody, the guy from Uruguay would get Aww, it. So, yeah. Poor guy. So, yeah, poor, <laughs> poor guy. So, so, so that was the story. And my book came out in 2016. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the doors to the paranormal opened. I was invited on podcast. I was interviewed by uh, uh, Timothy Green Beckley, you know, Mr. U Mr. Yeah. UFO. Yeah. Uh, invited to a Fort Festival in Baltimore. Uh, there was a 90-minute uh, program on me and my and the Shepton book on Mysterious Universe from Australia, and just on and on and on. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, this I, again, I didn't look for this. This just sort of happened. So after the rock mythology, somebody else's dream, then I decided to continue in that direction and uh, continue with the paranormal themes. And that's where coal region hoodoo uh, came in. So I want to ask before we talk more about the books, have you had any paranormal experiences yourself? No, everybody asked me that, but no, I'm uh, a couple of things. One, uh, you know, I don't go into uh, haunted houses looking for <laughs> spooks or ghosts or demons, especially demons. I stay away from that. That's um, good. Yeah, personally, I'm very apprehensive about uh, things like seances, tarot cards, Ouija boards, uh, you know, fortune tellers. I stay away from them because uh, I, I believe that evil exists. I believe that the devil exists. And I believe that the devil, he or she, wants us to think that they don't exist. So um, I know as a college student, I dabbled in some of this stuff, and uh, I was pretty much terrified. I, I did some really stupid, immature things and, um, you know, lived to tell, tell about it. But, I mean, it was just like, you know, we were just young and experimental and, uh, you know, thought we'd flirt around with uh, seances and things like that. And uh, But, um, no, I don't do that, but I do want to say that, over the years, I've been I've had a chance to go and make contact with people that were, for example, involved in the Philadelphia experiment. I was able to uh, develop a relationship with Dr. Frederick Santee, the White Witch. Uh, we'll, hopefully, we'll talk about him later. And also, I had a relationship with Ed and Lorraine Warren, the demonologist, who I first met in 1988, and they were on a 15-city tour promoting their book, The Haunted. So. They were the most famous of demonologists, and of course, everybody's seen The Conjuring or Conjuring mm -hmm. Two, and Annabelle, and Annabelle comes home, and and all that. But um, you know, which uh, 
just for a you know a little a fun fact, um, you know I have a PowerPoint presentation that I talk about coal region hoodoo and the seven movies that comprise the the um, Conjuring franchise. Seven motion pictures have netted over two billion dollars worldwide. Wow! Wow! You know, second, the most successful horror franchise after Godzilla. So uh, we love to be scared. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, certainly have given us a template for that. And, and then uh, the other thing, over the years, I kept in touch with them. They were from, I think it was Monroe, Connecticut. And I would call them up and ask them questions. And Lorraine had a pet rooster, <laughs> what you could hear in the background. And they were just very lovely people they were roman catholics and they believed in that you know that the evil exists and that there are demonic spirits out out there so <laughs> i know this is kind of sidetracking our discussion but what what would you say to someone who who says that that evil doesn't exist the devil doesn't exist it's just a construct to to keep people in line to to you know to scare them into behaving yeah, that's a, uh, you know, that's sort of a political viewpoint and a, uh, you know, I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day about, you know, all political parties are pretty much the same and it's the one percent, <laughs> the one percenters who want to control us and rule us. So, you know, that may fit into that narrative, certainly, you know, that uh, scaring, keeping us scared or even better yet, keep us sidetracked rather than dealing with issues mm. that we really should be dealing with important issues we're talking about the transgendered community right now that you know that comprises what less than one percent of the population and i remember years ago it was uh i guess it was transgendered individuals in north carolina bathrooms and you know i'm a uh, pretty liberal i think i'm a progressive thinker but i was thinking why are we talking about that i mean aren't there more important things so i think that there's certain forces that sort of uh nudge us into certain areas, you know, to keep us angry, to keep us unsettled, to keep us away from the fact that we are being manipulated by the one percenters. So that's my mm -hmm. political rant. I, and uh, I, 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 all right. <laughs> and I think I think it's true. Yeah, that's interesting, because I often have this debate with my husband is, is, is there really evil is it just human nature is there a guiding force that makes people do things do bad things mm -hmm. and so yeah it's 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 a debate we have and so yes. right yeah. yeah 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 one of the, one of the people that's that are uh involved in my uh, both books the shefton book and somebody else's and uh, co-region hoodoo was uh, elizabeth kubler ross she was one of the uh, foremost uh, progressive thinkers of the 20th century she wrote the book on death and dying that talked about the stages of grief. You know, when somebody that you love dies, we tend to negotiate with God. You know, we're angry. We refuse to believe. We negotiate with God. You know, bring my loved one back and I'll be good. I'll change my ways. Mm -hmm. And then finally we do the acceptance. But Elizabeth Kupler Ross said that, you know, you could fill your, your hearts and minds with either fear or love. Not both at the same time, but just pick one and, you know, ask yourself, I mean, how do you want to go through life? How do you want to go through your day? Do you want to have it filled with fear or do you want to have it filled with love? Two totally different, uh, you know, uh, diverse emotions, uh, you, you know, so um, I think that's, I think it's all about having choices. And uh, for me personally, uh, you know, when I start the day, I, I, I like to, I meditate. I start the day with my meditation, my practice, and I give myself positive affirmations. And during the day, whenever the demons, you know, call them what you want, the little ghoulies come after me, you know, uh, I just get back into that little pocket, that little space where there's peace and tranquility and get back to that with the uh, uh, self-affirmations and I'm good. And this thing, I mean, I don't know what it sounds like to your listeners, but everybody should be doing this. It's thousands of years old. It works. It's 
pre-mental health, you know, without taking Prozac and, you know, Klonopin and everything else. So uh, the benzodiazepine. So, you know, meditation is something that, uh, especially with this wicked world of COVID and the infighting and the political, the horrible political discourse and Ukraine and Russia and everything else. I mean, you know, there, we really need to get to a place where there's peace and tranquility. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, was correct when she said, you know, you got a choice. It's either fear or it's love. So I'm choosing love. So I agree. And I, I so I get up every morning between 3 and 4 a.m. and meditate for two hours. So I'm with oh, you. It is well, my practice. Oh, so. that's, that's awesome that you could do it for that long. Yeah, I'm not that disciplined, but, uh, you know, but, but I bet it works. And then yeah. It helps. It helps me throughout the day. I mean, I just can't yeah, say enough, enough about it. You know. Uh, and again, for those of you that are listening, if you deal with anxiety or depression or feelings, a lack of self worth, and all that, try meditation. Just uh, try it for like three, four minutes a day. You know, plenty of uh, things on YouTube for how to do that. But it's free. It's easy. It's not demonic, satanic, yada yada yada. It's good. Something good and positive for you, you know, for your inner child. So I yep, highly it's recommend it. It's a good way to choose love and, um, and to continue to choose. It's, it just starts your day off on a positive note. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. For me, absolutely. Um, so, okay. So before we went on that, we were <laughs> Did we get way- signed? Did we get well, you know, Cheryl, <laughs> Cheryl, and I are, Cheryl and I are very easy to sidetrack. You should just know that. Um, because, you know, we've both worked a full day before we get to you talking. And so we've been focused all day. And I think it's our time for our minds to sort of wander away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh. But so co-region hoodoo then. This is, um, this is about... What is it about? Explain. Yeah, it. good. Well, it sort of continues with the Shepton mythology. You know, uh, I really uh, found such a wonderful demographic, you know, a very supportive and encouraging audience with uh, the Shepton mythology. So I thought, you know, why not write another book that goes a little bit further and a little bit deeper and a little bit wider? So that's what I did with Coal Region Hoodoo. And you know, a lot of people, so far, like I said, the book's only been out for like a month, but people are asking me about, you know, don't you mean voodoo? And no, I don't mean voodoo. You know, voodoo is uh, like a West African religion that combines, I think, some uh, maybe Native American and Spanish and Christian uh, philosophies. But hoodoo is sort of like a, a variation of that, a spinoff. It, it's sort of like maybe Protestant Christian spinoffs like Lutherans, Methodist, Baptist, okay, some similar to that. But hoodoo could be both a blessing and a curse. And when I talk about the core region hoodoo, I'm talking about, you know, uh, people that, uh, well, for example, like the miners in Shepton. Why was it that two of the miners were rescued? They, were, they received the blessing while the third miner was cursed, you know, either cannibalized or he died a horrible, lonely, wicked death. So, and again, there's a great question for, for all of us. I mean, why is it that some of us receive the blessing and some of us receive the curse? I mean, regular, normal, good people. I mean, how does that work? So, you know, I think I try to explore some of that in coal region hoodoo, but hoodoo is that. It uh, could be either uh, uh, something that is, uh, that is good or something that is, that is uh, evil. Okay, so... It's not then about the folk magic practice of hoodoo, but just more about the, the general concept of it. Yeah, and as looking through the lens of, of Pennsylvania, the coal region. So we take a look at the uh, Pennsylvania coal region and paranormal, paranormal aspects of that. For example, you know, uh, uh, numerous researchers have said that Pennsylvania is the number three state as far as Bigfoot and UFO sightings. Number three, after Washington State and California, so we Woo-hoo, have we're winning. <laughs> we have, we have um, 
you know, plenty of forests. We have plenty of spaces where, where they, where Bigfoot, for example, could, could hide out. One of the places, though, in western Pennsylvania, there's a uh, maybe a four-county area called Chestnut Ridge. And Chestnut Ridge is south of Pittsburgh, and it goes down over 100 miles to West Virginia. And there we see the most Bigfoot and UFO sightings, you know, in the state. And not only Bigfoot sightings, but get this, and you've probably heard this before, but Bigfoot and UFO sightings at the same time. So I don't know what that is and what that represents, but Stan Gordon, who is our expert out there in uh, Western Pennsylvania, who has written The Silent Invasion and numerous books about Bigfoot and UFOs, and also wrote a book about the, uh, the Kecksburg flap. You know, 1965, we had a UFO that came down. Same thing, and we call it the Pennsylvania Roswell, but it was the same thing. In the dead of night, the military came in with their big government trucks, put this thing on top of it. It looked like an acorn-shaped capsule, and then they put the tarps on it and took off and went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then when, when all of these research researchers requested information on Kecksburg through the Freedom of Information Act, what they received was all redacted. Gee, you know, we've heard this story before, right? So, uh, so that happened in western Pennsylvania in the uh, Chestnut Ridge area. Just a lot of weird, spooky things that happen out there including the Bigfoot sightings. And again, these have all been documented. So many of them have been documented by Stan Gordon, who's doing a wonderful job. You know, he's just a wonderful archive of scientific, you know, um, uh, information, you know, about these sightings. So a lot of what you're explaining sounds like high strangeness, where multiple paranormal phenomena happens at once so like bigfoot you've got bigfoot you've got ufo you have spiritual activity um and why do you think that that high strangeness happens in certain areas and not others well first of all sure i want to thank you for bringing that up you know um i was initially going to call my uh shepton book the shepton convergence because mm -hmm. there was a convergence of variables that you know just piled up one after the other and then i thought no i'm going to go and use uh j allen hynek's uh, uh gauge of, of of strangeness so shepton certainly was an uh an episode of of, of high strangeness that we didn't have just like one anomaly we didn't mm -hmm. have an orb flying out there you know that was unknown but we had um all kinds of things like the out-of-body experience and the after-death experience and the humanoid creatures and all that. Um, I'm not sure. I'm why Shepton. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe there was something about the uh, wormhole theory. Maybe Albert Einstein was correct that with uh, bridges or wormholes, you know, one con one dimension is connected to another. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of these uh, uh, these humanoid creatures. And some of these visions came from another dimension. I don't. I, I don't know. I I wrote about it. I uh, wrote about what the, uh, the the miners experienced. But it just seems to be unique uh, as far as paranormal events go. And definitely with Shepton, there were just so many things that that happened. Uh, you know, the grotesque, the miraculous, the bizarre, the the, the paranormal, the technological. I mean. Uh, too many things. I mean, just like uh, it, it's it's uh, it it spins your head around, but um, definitely it's an example of high strangeness. Yeah, and I think that that I, I don't know what causes it, but I do agree that it seems to be possible that maybe we are all existing at the same time, but maybe on different levels or different frequencies or wh whatever you want to call it, and something in the atmosphere something that might be very normal but we don't know of it we haven't discovered it yet enables all of these things to come together at the same time and in in certain places because of whatever atmospheric or something happens at that point karen yeah you know a lot about this this stuff so i'm interested to see what you think well so i was just actually i was kind of looking at a map as you were talking because i was trying to get an idea of where and what I realized is that 
another area of high strangeness is just a few hours away, and that's where we were almost exactly a year ago, Cheryl, which is in Point Pleasant. Aha. Uh -huh. Where the Mothman was as well. Oh, in so, uh, West, Virgi West Virginia? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. And close enough to uh, Chestnut Ridge. Yeah, it's in that, it's in that yep. area. <clears throat> huh, bizarre. Yeah. So it's interesting that they're all in that, 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 that there's like this history of these things in that area. Yeah. And you were talking about uh, frequency. Uh, I have a quote here from Nikola Tesla. If you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. So mm -hmm. we can take that and go to town. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think that maybe what's happening is just it's it's something where we're all existing. So Bigfoot is existing wherever it exists. And the reason why we don't see it all that often is because we can't see it all that often. Well, it's, we cross, it's cross dimensional, right? Yeah. So um, if you look at, at the, what they've theorized in quantum physics, they believe that there are something like 11 folded dimensions in the universe that we live in or more. Right. And so we live in three dimensions um, and four if you count time. So we see things three dimensionally. And I think I've explained mm -hmm. this before. Like if you're a little two dimensional person and you saw a three dimensional thing, it would be a little strange to you. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's what happens to us with high strangeness is that we're these three or four dimensional beings that are seeing something coming from these un these folded dimensions that we can't perceive. Right. And that's a, that's a really good uh, point. Uh, you know, dogs hear sounds that we can't hear. You know, uh, animals can see uh, things like uh, frequencies or, or lights uh, that we can't see, you know, certain uh, uh, light. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but I, th I think there may be... Uh, there was um, uh, a short story by Ambrose Bierce called The Damn Thing. And it was about this creature that was going through the woods and this guy had his dog and his gun. And the dog could hear it, you know, but the guy couldn't see it. And the, it ends, this Ambrose Bierce, Bierce story ends with the fact that maybe there's creatures that exist but we can't see them and we can't hear them, but they're in some co coexisting parallel dimension, you know, some universe. So it was a really great theory. And, and you know, I, I love that short story. It's called The Damn Thing, short story by Ambrose Bierce. They called him Bitter Bierce because he really had a, you know, he was a nasty sort of guy. But, um, you know, again, we're here having this conversation about the paranormal, trying to figure things out, trying to put things into a certain slot or a category, trying to give it names, trying to give it levels of strangeness to see just what the uh, incidence of uh, the paranormal is, uh, all of that. And, you know, uh, with uh, Coleridge Hoodoo, I have two chapters on Bigfoot. One is the Bigfoot Enigma, where I talk about all the things that everybody talks about, you know, uh, you know, Sasquatch and, you know, and, uh, when we first saw him and the wild men and all that. And then the second chapter is the Bigfoot hypothesis. And then I take a look at all of these hypotheses that people are throwing out there, like it may be interdimensional, that maybe Bigfoot has a thing called bilocation, where you see the, the creature in front of you and then it's behind you, where and then also with thousands of people that see the same thing, a creature that's long and shaggy, that's maybe eight to 10 feet, that lopes or glides as it ambulates, that doesn't reflect light from its eyes, but emits light. I mean, just all kinds of things and something that we just have a hard time finding. We see prints and we do have prints, but um, it's, it's hard to find more data uh, again, that interdimensional theory, Einstein's wormhole theory, seems to be something that a lot of uh, uh, researchers are taking a look at, you know, to explain uh, both Bigfoot and UFOs. So I think right now, from my research, I mean, that seems to be sort of like the leading of the most, the prevalent theory that's, that's out there, you know, from Einstein. Well, and it can explain everything, right? Um, it can explain all of the weird 
things, if you think about it, if there are dimensions that we can't see, if there are things that coexist that we're unable to perceive, except for very, like, ephemerally, right? Like, quickly, um, then it can explain everything. It can explain a ghost. It can explain magic. It can explain all of the weird things that people experience. Mm -hmm. And again, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, for explanations. Um, Dr. Jeff Meldrum was there. He's the anthropologist. He was at the Bigfoot conference. Yeah, yeah. He, now he believes Bigfoot is is just like a, a animal that we haven't encountered yet, as far as I understand. At least the last we heard from him, it, it's not paranormal at all. It is absolutely an animal on Earth. Yeah, and he thinks, let me say, I think he had humans, chimpanzees, gorillas, uh, orangutan and then Bigfoot. I think that's his uh, the slide that he showed. Um, he was talking about that, um, saying that Bigfoot uh, coexists with black bears. And if you look at the black bear habitat, that's where you also you could possibly also find Bigfoot. And then he had some kind of a scale uh, uh, that if there are X number of black bears, then by his scale, his projection, there would be X number of Bigfoot. So he uses those things. But he says that he's not invited to the table, you know, with a lot of the other paranormal researchers because he's more steeped in science. But he was really a cool guy. He had some really good information and, um, you know, just talked a lot about um, what Bigfoot might be, might look like, et cetera, et cetera, you know, based on footprints and that. So I thought he, I think he brings a lot to the table. But oh, keeping I do it, too. Yeah. And keeping yeah. it science, as science-based as you can as opposed to paranormal researchers who continue to give Bigfoot these superhuman powers, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm, I read all this stuff, but I mean, by like telepathic powers and, you know, and whatever, but uh, I mean, we don't know, but some of this, some of this uh, conjecture is, uh, um, you know, getting away from science. I mean, it's just, it's just uh, using theories. One of, uh, if, um, your readers do happen to uh, get a copy of Coal Region Hoodoo. Please read the Bigfoot Hypothesis. And I think it's uh, pretty current as of now, as of 2023, just to see the different uh, explanations for who or what Bigfoot might be. And I have my own that I float out there. But again, I, I want to just keep it close to the vest right now and let the readers, uh, you, know, uh, you know, find that for themselves. Yeah, I've heard so many different things about Bigfoot. I don't even know where to start. I've heard he can go invisible. He can actually talk. Um, I mean, I don't even, it's it's just yeah. it's such an unknown, I yeah. think, that it's just so intriguing. It, it, it is. Uh, they're saying that Bigfoot could mimic birds and animals, mm -hmm. could do that, could mimic a children crying. Uh, with Stan Gordon, the guy from Western Pennsylvania, he uh, interviews all these people. People call him up and say, look, I just saw something. So Stan will say, well, what exactly did you see? Where did you see it? So Stan's able to come up with these common denominators, you know, like the time of day when you, you're likely to see Bigfoot, what it looks like, who are the people that are seeing him. And, you know, these are normal average people they're not mentally ill people they're not people looking for attention you know they're just right. they've seen something strange and bizarre and they want to know what it is and uh you know and as as i think we all do you know so so let me ask a question and go let's go back into the caves so yeah. The, these these people were under horrible conditions they were in the dark they were hungry they probably thought they might die Oh, yeah. Do you think that those conditions they were under helped or, or enabled them to get more in touch with these paranormal activities that they experienced, the beings that they saw, the golden stairs, the, the Pope, you know, everything. Yeah, Do you yeah. think that it was the conditions that enabled it? Because yeah. some people will say, well, no, that's, they're just hallucinating. But I yeah. think it's, it might have to do with, they were at an elevated level of sorts that allowed them to tune in to these things, possibly. Yeah. I think, first of all, uh, the Shepton story is a story of human survival. So uh, these guys were trapped 330 mm -hmm. feet below. It was uh, about in maybe 52 degrees, you know. Um, they had to uh, rub each other, you know, just to keep the blood flowing, keep themselves going. There was a symbiotic relationship 
between the older Davy Fallon and the younger Hank Throne. And uh, Fallon, who was 58, uh, and Throne, who was uh, 28, there was this symbiotic relationship, sort of like a parent-child relationship that Fallon just instructed and mentored the younger guy to keep his wits about him. So that was one thing that happened. They had a mantra. They would, they would pray tap dig they would pray for 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 divine intervention they would tap so that the rescue party would be able to hear them and then they had shovels they would try to dig their way look for places to dig their way out uh, they were frustrated because felon davy felon the older guy had been working the mine since he was 13 years old he was sort of our john wayne he was just a gutsy courageous guy and he was getting really upset because he thought they should have rescued him a lot earlier. You know, he was calculating. He knew that he was down there over 300 feet, and he knew how long it would take to for them to extricate him, and it just wasn't happening. So he was frustrated with that. The other thing that happened was uh, Davy Fallon was a devout Catholic. Uh, Throne wasn't. He was an atheist. He had no religion at all. And uh, Throne would pray and meditate. And uh, I have a chapter on St. Teresa of Avila. She was a 14th, 14th century Spanish mystic. I mean, she was really cool. And she chose to become a Catholic during the Spanish Inquisition and the Protestant Reformation. I mean, they were coming after the Catholics, so she decided to become this devout Catholic back then. But um, she believed that through prayer and meditation, we could get into an altered state of consciousness. And one of them she called ecstasy, and uh, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila spoke of flight of the soul, and flight of the soul is of an out-of-body experience. And Davy Fallon claimed to have that, had that experience twice, thrown head at one time, but they both were uh, hovering up above over the, the mine, looking down on the rescue party, and they were able to go and describe what they saw. And with all of the strange things that they saw, there was a guy named Ed Conrad. Now, Ed was a real character. He was a former newspaper man. Ed called himself the truth dispenser. What he did was after the miners were extricated, he befriended them and he took them down to see Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who I spoke about earlier. She wrote the book on death and dying. And she was an expert on near-death experiences and after-life experiences. She believed that what the miners saw, i.e., the vision of Pope John the 23rd was an example of, of life after death, as well as uh, an out-of-body experience. Uh, they, he, uh, Ed Conrad also took them to see uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson. He was from the University of Virginia, and he's a leading authority on near-death experiences, and he's all over the podcast. I mean, he's sort of like mm -hmm. a rock star. And he was the other one that believed that the miners experienced something that was true. So Ed Conrad, the truth dispenser, had them tape recorded and polygraph tested and everything that you could think of. So what he left us with was not just conjecture and paranormal, you know, uh, you know, hyperbole, but it was some scientific data. I mean, as as far as a polygraph and the tape recording and all that could be, but also visiting these experts in the field, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, and Bruce Grayson. So uh, they did that, as well as several military psychiatrists who talked to the miners and claimed that the what the miners experienced was the truth. So I believe, you know, I wrote the, the Shepton book believing that the miners experienced that, that it wasn't hallucinations, it wasn't uh, sulfur water, it wasn't, you know, um, uh, sensory deprivation, but it was something that actually happened uh, of a paranormal nature. Now, um, one of the things that happened with my, my journey, my paranormal journey, was we were written up in the Skeptical Inquirer, and they did this really big oh. piece on, on Shepton. Yes, thank you. <laughs> So, All right. So, yeah, so they did this really long-winded piece about Shepton and what happened there and said that my book, uh, The Myth, Miracle, and Music, was the definitive book on the topic. And then he had a little point, little paragraph stating that with Occam's razor, you know, uh, 
that blows the, the, the paranormal theory out of the water. And for, for the readers that may not know, Occam's razor was sort of, a, I think, an archaic medieval way of looking at uh, puzzles, things that uh, are complex and trying to figure them out. Occam's razor says whenever you have something like that, you need to look at the simplest explanation. So in a case like the Shepton convergence or the Shepton high strangeness, there's a whole lot of things like miracles and out-of-body experiences mm -hmm. and life after death. So it's not simplistic. So to say that this is just, you know, hallucinations is really sort of like disrespecting, you know, yeah. some key aspects of the paranormal, like yeah. a possible miracle. So anyway, um, Skeptical Inquirer did give us a lot of ink. I mean, I couldn't believe that that article was so extensive. But um, when he refuted it, I mean, it, there wasn't a whole lot of a lot of text there. So, yeah. uh, but um, you know, but we're used to things like that, and uh, you know, and that's fine. And and then, and again, you have it's a matter of choice. I mean, read the book and make a make your make a decision yourself as to what may or may not have happened. But you know, that's I, right. And, you know, I would just like to point out that my thought about Occam's razor, and I've thought this for years, is it's basically all things being equal. The simplest explanation is usually the correct explanation. Sometimes the simplest explanation is that it's paranormal. That's right. And, and let's take a look at what was happening in the 40s and 50s and 60s with UFO sightings. There was a knee-jerk response. Everybody, all these experts, all these government people were saying, that is what? What do we have, like maybe five go-to things? It was marsh gas. It was a reflection from Venus. The person was mentally ill. They, mm -hmm. uh, it was reflections from a plane. Uh, it might have been a meteorite. Uh, I, you know, they never took uh, these people serious. They, they, there was no credibility. And J. Allen Hynek, who was a, a, a doubter at first, and mm -hmm. he was a part of all the government projects, Project Sign, Project Grunge, Pro Project Blue Book. And he, two things happened with him. He became a convert because he didn't believe in UFOs at first, but he became a convert for two reasons. One is that he knew that the government, you know, these authorities, were the scientific community was disrespecting these people that were seeing these anomalies. They were just immediately saying that these people were crazy. So they, they just discounted them. The other thing, Hynek was looking at normal people like, not us, because we're sort of like zealots and, you know, we're, we're into this, but, but, but normal average people who were seeing things. And Hynek said, wait a second, these people aren't mentally ill. They don't have an ax to grind. You know, they, they are coming forward reluctantly knowing that they're going to be castigated and criticized. So he started to say, wait a second, there is something here. And Hynek mm -hmm. knew that there was a certain percentile, you know, maybe 20%, maybe 10% of these anomalies that we see that we cannot explain. And that was, the, and that's happening today with the uh, uh, the UAPs, the unidentified mm -hmm. aerial phenomenon. Yep, yep, yep. They're just renaming it, you know, trying to trying to shift the whole conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I do want to backtrack, if I may. Um, you were asking if I had any paranormal experiences. I think that was the. Yes. The question, that was like three days ago, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I was a radar man oh. aboard the USS Constellation. And um, a couple of things. Uh, we would look at the radar scope and we would see what, we, what were known as bogeys. They were solid, uh, tangible, maneuverable contacts. Mm -hmm. They were faster than any guided missile we had or the Soviet Union had. So we would put them in the logbook and they would tell us to shut up, don't talk about it. So this, you know, most mm -hmm. of us were under 20. So we had like all, the, all of us were kids fighting this war. So fast forward to 2023, about three years ago, the Pentagon said, wait a second, we admit that these things that these Navy pilots are saying, there's at least 3% that we cannot identify. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know. They're either ours or they're from Russia, China, or Iran, or they're extraterrestrial. So take your best guess. We're, we continue to see orbs over the Middle East that we take photographs of. Uh, we don't know what they are. Uh, the only thing that's changed, well, maybe three things. One, the government is admitting 
uh, that there are things there that we can identify and they're asking these pilots and people to come forward and report those. Two, they changed the name from UFOs to uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. They changed the name. And then three, the shape, whether it's triangular or tick-tock or cigar shape or what, the shape of the UFOs seems to have changed from what we were seeing early on with Kenneth Arnold and you know some of these people back in the uh, 40s. So uh, things have changed, but we're still left with this mystery and like, what exactly, what yeah. exactly are they? Yeah. And that's, that's the excitement of doing the research, right? Is yeah. oh yeah, looking at the possibilities. Um, so I want to encourage our listeners, get Maxim's books, Coal Reach and Hoodoo, Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit, and Shepton, The Myth, Miracle, and Music. But before we go, Maxim, please tell our listeners where they can find you online and any other information about some upcoming projects you may have in the works. Yeah, right. Okay, so if anybody wants to get a copy, the easy way is to go and uh, give Jeff Benzos some money at, at Amazon. You know, <laughs> Jeff needs it. But uh, the, the, the book's only like $14.99. Beyond the Frame wanted to keep the price down. And it's a, an extensive book. It's really well written and documented. Uh, I have over 400 books and magazine article references and also personal interviews. So, you know, uh, it's like I'm really proud of that. So you could get it from Amazon.com or you could con uh, contact me through my website, which is www.amazon.com. MaximFurek.com, and that's M-A-X-I-M-F-U-R-E-K, and you could, that's my website, you could contact me through there, and I could get you an autographed copy of either one of my books. And then the other thing, lastly, I'm working on a project right now called Dream Gliding, Summoning the, uh, Honoring the Wisdom of the Ancients, and I believe that there's nothing new under the sun, that everything we hear today from Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Anthony Robbins uh, ha are things that have been articulated 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ, Mohammed, and, and Buddha. And so there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, I'm over halfway done with this, but it's just like a, a real a cerebral task, you know, putting this together. <laughs> this is like going deep. So, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, that'll get published at some point. But yeah, I'm keeping busy and I plan on being at a number of uh, uh, events this summer. Uh, the, you know, I'm going to be at the uh, Bigfoot and Supernatural Expo in Johnstown, Pennsylvania on September, September the 30th with uh, Eric Altman from the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society and um, uh, Stan Gordon and a number of other people. So I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, to be there with the, some, of the, some of the big guys in the field. So uh, this is great that they gave me the invite. And um, I'm going to be talking about coal region hoodoo, paranormal tales from inside the pit. Well, again, Maxim, welcome to the ride. We're happy to have you with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was great. Thank you. This is like we like we've known each other forever. So this is very cozy and comfy and easy, and I appreciate that. And I'm glad that the technology is working. And uh, and also for uh, you folks that may or may not know about Paranormal Underground, it's a wonderful publication, and I'm proud to be uh, among the, uh, the the writers of that publication. So, so yes, and, and thank you. And we're gonna hopefully look for more articles from you in the magazine, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, awesome, yes. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, thank you very much. Got, uh, thanks, Maxim. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back uh, with another guest. I don't know. We don't know what we're doing. I'm heading to Sedona, like, tomorrow. So we'll figure it out when I get back. Enjoy your trip, Karen. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Bye. All right, thanks, everybody. Take care.